Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. The past few days have been very inspiring for me as I was able to spend many hours with my friend and the Lord, Brother Spiros Zodiatis, and I've been doing some video work with him. And as a matter of fact, you may have seen some equipment in the hall as you came in today. And after the service is over, I'd like to let you get a look and see what we've been doing. And we've been doing some teaching tapes. Now, the chemistry is just right. For he is the teacher, and I'm the learner. <laughs> I'm the dummy in the group. And uh, it was just so super to be able to sit down with him and go through a subject that I had never really studied deeply, which is called the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. And, you know, I got so excited about it that I decided, the Lord decided for me in the excitement, to preach a ser series of sermons on the Beatitudes. It is so dangerous to remove the practicality of this precious scripture and put it in the Millennial Kingdom. So many of us are overlooking the laws of discipleship which are found beautifully in the fifth chapter of Matthew. So I want to begin this morning a series on the Beatitudes and I want to call it, if you would allow me, the laws of discipleship. For we see them, step one, step two, step three, or law one, law two, and law three, so beautifully laid out in God's Word. And Matthew chapter five, and we'll also be preaching from Luke the sixth chapter as we go along in the series. Well, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I want to make sure that we have the Lord in charge. Father, I thank you so much that you give the gift, and oh God, that you give the ministry. And Lord, thank you that the result is all yours. And I praise you, O oh God, for the scripture. And I just ask you, Father, right now, that if you'll just speak through me in the power of your Holy Spirit, like you spoke to me. Father, let it get out like it came in. And we'll praise you for the result in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me, if you will, Matthew, the fifth chapter. And let's read down through verse 12. <clears throat> And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. At other times in our series we'll be reading from Luke the sixth chapter. But let's go ahead and jump in today. And the title of my message of the first uh, part of our series is What Does It Mean to Be Blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? What is he talking about when he said, blessed are the poor? 
Now, we live in days when everybody seems to be in it for what's in it for them. In other words, what can I get out of life? God, what can you do for me? And what we hear so often comes across as going about claiming God's promises. And yet the Scripture shows us so beautifully that every promise of God is attached to a condition of God. And instead of claiming the promises, if we would get busy about meeting the conditions of God in obedience, the promises would take care of themselves. For instance, we go back in the Old Testament, you don't have to look this up, but when Joshua was going on into the promised land, God gave him a condition, but he gave him a promise. He said, Joshua, everywhere where the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that's been given unto you. Now, when the Hebrews' bare foot touched the ground, that meant it was holy ground. Joshua, if you will be set apart, if you will live by my direction, that's the condition, what is it? I will give you victory everywhere that you go. He also told him something else. He said, I want you to take this book of the law and meditate in it day and night. Do everything that it says. That's the condition. Then he says, and everything that you shall do shall prosper and have success. Here's the promise, and yet here's the condition. In Second Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, condition, then, God says, I will hear their voice, forgive their sins, and heal their land. You see, we're always wanting to claim the promise, but we're never really busy about uh, meeting the standard or the condition that God has for us in order that that promise might be fulfilled. I was in a meeting one night and a man got up and preached. And when he finished preaching, another man got up. And this man was that had preached to us that night had just overwhelmed him. God had just used him in a marvelous way. And the man got up after him and he said, You know, everybody in this auditorium wants this man's faith. Everybody wants what has happened to him to happen to them. But he said, nobody in this auditorium is willing to go through the same school he went through in order that they might have it. And that's the way most folks are. They want to shortcut everything. They want the promise of God, but they're not busy about meeting the conditions of God. C.T. Studd and F.B. Meyer went in a room one night, and Meyer woke up about 3 in the morning and heard Studd over in the corner as he was weeping and had a candle there on the table over the Word of God. And he said, what's wrong, C.T.? And, and, and the man, the great man of God, C.T. Studd, as he was weeping, said, oh, listen, I have gotten into the Word, and I'm trying to see where it is that God has commandments for me to obey. And he said, I'm so broken. There's so many things in this Word that I'm not living, I'm not obeying. And it had broken his heart to see that he was not meeting the conditions of God in the sense of chosen obedience. That's the only condition that God requires in our life. To choose to obey Him. Not to sacrifice, but to obey Him. And as we meet the conditions of God, God is so beautiful to fulfill His promises in our life. We don't have to claim them. They've already been claimed. For He that promised is faithful. He'll do what He said He will do if we would meet the conditions that God has. And those conditions are simply that of chosen obedience. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, we see the conditions, the laws of discipleship, the condition, the blessing, the condition, the blessing. It follows a pattern all the way through. In verse 1, we see the setting. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. Now, any time that Christ was there and the multitudes were mentioned, there were always three kinds of people. That always made up the multitudes of, of, of the crowds that came to hear him. First of all, there was the curiosity seekers. 
Now these were the people who simply came out of curiosity. Maybe they had heard of a miracle he had done or maybe they had seen him someplace and they were overjoyed with the opportunity to see something that was new and exciting. Curiosity seekers. They were not followers of Christ. They were not disciples of Christ. They simply came to see what was going on. But the second group of people that was always present when the multitudes were mentioned in the Bible was the fringe followers that I call them. These were the people who perhaps had even learned in their minds what God had said, but they never let that get out of their minds and into their hearts. They were not committed people. They were there simply to gain knowledge, but they were not there to let that knowledge get into their heart. As a moment Christ would turn his back, they would crucify him to save face in a crowd. But then there was always that other group called the disciple that was present when God would teach. Now, the word disciple is the word mathetes. And the word mathetes simply means a follower of doctrine. And here's what it means. It means that a person is willing to let the teachings of another translate themselves into that person's life and bring about transformation. That's a disciple, a learner, a follower of doctrine, one who allows the teachings of another not just to stay in his mind, but to get into his heart. These were the men that God had so preciously given himself to, those who were willing to be led, those who were willing to be taught. And I want you to know that the multitudes were listening in on God teaching his own disciples. This is a picture that the church ought to be today. Some people say that a preacher should get up in the pulpit and preach an evangelistic message every time he preaches. My friend, that's wrong. You cannot build a church that way. Jesus himself didn't go about it that way. He was busy instructing his disciples and the world got curious about the instructions that were being given. And they came out of curiosity. They came to hear what God's people were being fed. That's exactly what the church ought to be today. For salvation is only a beginning. We must grow, desire the pure milk of the word that we might grow in respect. Of our salvation. Well, it says, Scripture says, and when he was set, and basically what it's saying is he sat down. <laughs> and when he sat down, he began to teach. Now, why did he sit down? You know, I, I like to stand up. Matter of fact, anybody that, when you see this video that I'll show you after the service today, you're going to realize that if you cut my hands off, I couldn't even talk. And on the, even when I'm sitting down, I'm trying to do something. Why? Why did he sit down? Why did he stand up? Because it was a custom of that day that the rabbis would sit when they taught. This is not today, this was then. And so when he was sat down, that was in keeping with the customs of that day. Now, he began to teach, and the word there is in the imperfect. And what it's trying, I believe, to say here is that he had been trying to teach these things over and over and over again. Wonder how many times he must have said these same words to these same disciples. And yet in John 21, he comes back and has to continue to reveal himself to them. They still don't understand. I just wonder how, how much patience he has with you and I as we have to hear it over and over and over and over again. Now, he's, we've got the setting. He's sat down. The crowd has come to listen in on the instructions that the master teacher is going to share with his disciples. Well, <clears throat> three things in the outline. First of all, a definition of the word blessed. You must understand this. If you miss this word, you've missed the whole teaching of the Beatitude. The word blessed. What does it mean? Makarios. I think I said that right. <laughs> I'm not going to look over to my right. Brother <laughs> Spiros, Makarios. What does that word mean? The word blessed. All right, let's look. 
Now, first of all, the translation happy is not really that good. It's, it's, it doesn't convey the meaning that, that this word has at its depth of riches. It's, it's much deeper than what the word happy said. For instance, the word happy comes, if you took the word happy apart, you see hap or circumstance. And you think of external conditions in order to effect that emotion of happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. And many times you read this, happy are the poor, as many people translate that. That's not good to me in the 20th century to say it that way. For this kind of blessedness is inward and does not depend on anything external for it to be consistent in a person's life. It is not dependent on circumstance whatsoever. But a lot of people, you see, don't understand that. They're looking for this surface emotion. They're up and down, like a yo-yo all the time. One day they're on the mountain, next day they're in the valley. Next day they're on the mountain, next day they're in the valley. What's wrong with them? I believe it's because they're allowing the external to dictate their life. When if they understood the word blessed, oh, my friend, doesn't matter what's going on around you, you can have this blessedness that he's talking about in your life. I'll give you an example. It's not too good, but it's real. We was coming home yesterday from Atlanta or... Yeah, from Atlanta. And uh, we, there was a man in a travel trailer. I don't know what you call those things, but one of them big, big uh, travel trailers. I wish, you know, it's one of those things you ride by and you, you envy and you have to confess immediately because <laughs> you wished you were in there laying down instead of sitting there in the car like you. And he was trying to get on the interstate coming from Atlanta. And there was a the traffic was just lined up, I mean, bumper to bumper, and we were, were, were clipping along, and, and he was trying to get in. Well, there was a white... Uh, car behind him. I don't know what kind it was. I didn't really catch the make of the car, but it was evidently a real quick car in acceleration. And that car was, was behind him, both of them trying to get on the interstate. Well, that great big old travel trailer was having a real tough time. Couldn't find a space big enough. But that little white car spied one and he jumped in there before that tra tra travel trailer could get in there. And I want you to know what ensued after that was really humorous. Well, I, it was humorous to me. I think if I'd have been in the trailer, it wouldn't have been too humorous. But this guy's arm had a great big old tattoo on the side of his arm. I don't know what he did in, in, in the service or something. But he had his hand outside there, and he was, doing, boy, he was just shaking his fist just like that, you know, at that white car. And he was riding down the road now on the side, off the, off the road now. He's riding down beside that white car, shaking his fingers at that car, just like that. Trying to tell that guy, what did you do that for? And I got to thinking about that as I was putting this message together. It's a perfect example of happiness. We're just the same way. You get up this morning, and if everything goes well, good. You can have a great time in church today. You get up this morning, everything doesn't go well. How does it, how does it affect you? You see, Christians that don't walk spiritually in that blessedness of God, what they do, they, they live externally. They let the, the external things of life dictate them. That's such a shallow way of living. Such a shallow way of living. That's not what this word means. Happiness today because of happenings. You heard about the man who couldn't get his car started one morning, and it's a true story, minister. And uh, so he went over and got his wife's car. And he hadn't driven it. And he was about an hour late after he'd finally made all these arrangements, and he got out and got on the traffic. I mean, he always tried to leave early so he could miss the traffic. And he was riding down the road, and boy, he got caught in a traffic jam, and they were lined up for five miles. And he sat there, and he was fuming. He was late for work. He was mad at his car. He was just upset. And the guy behind him started laying on the horn. Beep, beep. Oh, that infuriated him. He couldn't move. The traffic was stopped. It was stalled. And he kept on beep, beep. And finally the guy, he just gets so mad. He gets up. He's the local pastor now. Gets up, slams the door of his car, walks back and says, Mister, if you blow that horn one more time, I'm going to rearrange your body all over this meeting as far as you can see. I'm mad. 
The man looked at him and said, what's the matter with you, sir? Are you crazy? He said, what do you mean? He said, you got a sticker on your bumper that says, honk if you love Jesus. <laughs> he didn't know he was in his wife's car, did he? <laughs> but you see, a lot of people live that way. They're always wanting the blessings of God. This is not what this word is talking about. You see, some people preach that you'll never have a headache if you get to be a Christian. You'll never have a difficulty in your life. You'll be rich and drive big cars. Friend, listen, that's not what they were saying. Now, let me show you what it says. Oh, if this doesn't ring your bell, your clapper's broke. That's all I've got to say. First of all, the meaning for the word blessed, the threefold meaning, and you need to get this down. First of all, it means to have the nature of God. That's inward. The nature of God. How do you know that, Wayne? Because the ancient Greeks would use this word when they'd talk about their gods. And they would use the term makarios. Blessed are these gods. That was the nature of their gods. And when it says here in Matthew 5 that we are blessed, what it is saying is we have the nature of God, which doesn't depend on this world, my friend. It's all inward. We have the nature of God. Second Peter 1.4 says, If we partake of His divine promises, we have partaken of His divine nature. And that's what he's speaking of. We're blessed. Why are we blessed? Because we sitting here this morning have within us the nature of God. God has united himself with our spirits and inwardly we are brand new creations in Christ. But that's not all of it. That's just the first part. It kind of spawns the other two. The second one, meaning of the word, it helps us to understand it. It means to have total peace in the midst of any circumstance. Now let me tell you why I say that. Now that's my wording. The Greeks would use this word not only to speak of their gods, but now listen to this, to speak of their dead. Well, that's exciting. Thank you a lot, Wayne. <laughs> I really appreciate your message this morning. I have to die before I can get this. Is that right? No, no, listen. You see, a person that was dead had passed out of, now listen very carefully, out of the realm of sorrow and misery and suffering and all this junk that we live in every day, that passed out of it. It no longer could touch them. And they had entered the realm of blessedness. I remember the day that I stood there at the cemetery. My father had died, and of course now my mom's gone on to be with him. But I stood there, and I remember just as clearly in my mind I had a rejoicing in my heart. For I realized that, yes, my father's body was under that dirt, but my dad didn't live there anymore. He had gone on. He had passed out of this sphere of sorrow and of hurt and of sickness and all this junk in this world. He had passed on into a realm of blessedness. We're blessed. What does it mean? It means this, my friend, that whatever is going on in your life cannot touch, cannot touch this quality that God has put within you. That's, me. That's blessed. It means in the midst of all suffering, you can have peace in the midst of the storm. You ought to shout. doesn't matter whether or not the clock went off late this morning or the car won't start or the rain comes on the wrong day or whatever. It doesn't matter. We have the nature of God and because of that we have left the realm of being touched by the tangible things of this life. We are blessed. Look with me and hold your finger there in James 5. To, I mean uh, Matthew 5. Look with me to James 5. If you would. <clears throat> James chapter 5. Now tomorrow... Don't miss part two of this great teaching on verse-by-verse -verse Bible study with Dr. Wayne Barber. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. 
That's jashow.org. 